Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Tonight, sure thing. Common sense conservative policies work. Republicans have everything going for them this election day, except themselves. What does it say if they can't win now? Hate crime. This is being investigated as a homicide. A pro-Hamas protester allegedly kills a Jewish man, yet cops and the media and the White House bend over backwards to both sides it. And we want to assure the Muslim and Jewish communities that we stand with them both during this difficult time. Help yourself. Forget stealing merchandise. Thieves in Oakland now go for the cash registers with impunity. What happens to everybody left in Oakland when the grocery stores just leave? Tunnel rescue. A month since Hamas took 240 men, women, and children hostage, we know virtually nothing. And that's sketchy. From Donald Trump to Tom Brady to Kim K. Why do courtroom sketch artists see things like nobody else? Welcome to the Ferris Show on television just past 7 p.m. Eastern. It is election night in America. The polls have just closed in Virginia, where that state will elect its legislature. Republican Glenn Youngkin pulled off a huge upset there two years ago. Now he wants to flip the legislature red. Polls also just closed in Kentucky, where a Republican challenge could upset the popular Democratic governor. And in dark red Mississippi, the Democratic challenger is at least nipping at the heels of Tate Reeves. A win there would be significant. By all historic political standards, Republicans should win everything in tonight's election. That's simply a statement of fact based on the economy and polling in America. But as we have told you over and over and over again, never underestimate Republicans' ability to screw things up. A record number of people are unhappy with the direction of the country. A New York Times poll showed just 2% of voters said the economy was excellent. 48% of black voters in the Times-Siena poll rated the economy as poor. 59% of voters under 30. The president now faces a civil war in his own party over the war in Israel, including some in Congress who openly call for wiping out the state of Israel. Rashida will stand strong. Gentle ladies, time has expired. Movement will continue for liberation until every Gentle single Palestinian has, expired. has the right Ge- to live in liberty. Gentlemen from Maryland. Plus the war in Ukraine, plus President Biden's domestic initiatives falling apart. We'll cover EVs and electric vehicle problems tomorrow. This isn't a partisan comment. President Biden is still trying to make it to the finish line. 
And Democrats are in trouble. In the words of Donald Trump Jr., not exactly the world's deepest thinking political analyst, before you go vote, go grocery shopping, gas up your car, pay your bills, look at your 401k, then vote. Obviously, we'll get you the results as they come in. We start with News Nation senior contributor, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist George Will. All right, big picture. Um, Virginia, Kentucky, if they go, both go red, it tells us something. If they both go blue, it tells us something. But it'd be hard to tickle the national implications out of this. Mississippi has at 38 percent the highest proportion of African-American voters. So the man running the Democrat challenging the incumbent Republican has a leg up with a very solid vote. He also has the most famous name in the state that gave us Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, and William Faulkner, the Nobel Prize winner. It's nothing compared to Presley's cousin, Elvis. All right. This would be the way I think about it. You can, you can draw almost any conclusion you want, right? If Andy Bashir wins in Kentucky, all of a sudden there's a lane for a non-Biden Democrat. If Glenn Youngkin gets the Republican legislature in Virginia, it says a 15-week ban on abortion works. You can paint it either way. What I can't figure out is the amount of money that is being spent here. Uh, Kentucky governor, $77 million for a governor's race in Kentucky. The Virginia state legislature, $62 million. They're advertising for state legislature seats on Sunday night football. Where is all this money coming from? Coming from the national committees, from small donors. All politics now is national in that sense. The national reverberations come from this. We who live in the Washington area, you and I live in, could see when we were watching the World Series, we would see ads for the state legislative races in Northern Virginia. Hmm. And that's not cheap. Yeah, no, no, it is not. And I think everybody is trying to figure out what this means for 2024, right? And to figure out, okay, does a 15-week ban on abortion work? Does a six-week ban work? Where, where, are the, where are the fracture points? Can Andy Bashir run away from Joe Biden. Then we look at the polling that we got over the weekend. Trump's lead in key states. Pennsylvania up Biden on Biden by four. Michigan up five. Arizona up five. Georgia up six. Nevada up 11. Wisconsin up two. Uh, in other words, uh, if the election were held today and the polling was right, he would win uh, in an electoral college landslide. I think, though, that if you go back to November of 2019 versus November of 2020, the same year difference, the word COVID and pandemic did not exist in American ethos or lexicon. Anybody would have been hard pressed to tell you what COVID was. And number two, Joe Biden wasn't even a thought for winning the Democratic nomination. So is it no matter what is said tomorrow about these races, is there anything to draw for it from? Them? I think there will be, because if the Democrats are pulled down, if Bashir, a very popular Democratic governor of Kentucky, loses, it will be said that he was dragged down by the Biden undertow. And that will make the seismic reaction to the polls that you just quoted even more intense and will start, I think, a stampede to get away from Biden. Let me wrap it up one quickly. I started with said never underestimate Republicans' ability to screw things up. Are Republicans playing too much of the short game here? They knife, they knife their own speaker in the back. There's so many wins they could be putting on the table that would not have people feel that Republicans can't govern, uh, and they don't seem to be doing that. The House Republicans live in a little bubble where they fight with one another and hope that the country isn't noticing. And I think they may, be, they may win that bet. Because the country is fixed on big issues 
abortion that is now a state issue that the Supreme Court sent back to the states. The Democrats said, oh, that's terrible. Now the Democrats have been benefiting from it ever since. Mm. Yeah, clearly. And it's, it's, been a, it's been a top line issue in all of these, all of these races, including Virginia. Mr. Will, always good to see you, sir. Good Thank you very you. much. We'll keep watching the results as they come in, race calls as they happen. Now to an election night story you will only see on News Nation. The entire town council of Green Township, Michigan, faces a recall vote today. And yes, we're talking about Green Township. The Green Township Council approved a Chinese-backed battery factory. The deal brought in billions in investment, thousands of jobs, perhaps a little something for the town council as well. But also, it brought in a company loyal to the Chinese Communist Party. Residents didn't like that. Brian Enton is in Michigan for us tonight. Hi, Brian. Hey, Leland. Yeah, it's, it's a busy night here. It's been busy here at the polling place in Green Charter Township. They've had a really, really good turnout. The polls are open uh, for about another 50 minutes or so. And then we're going to find out something that's never happened before here. Are they going to take out their entire local government? This is a recall election, again, that is unprecedented. They want to take out everyone because this Chinese-backed company was approved to come to town. They feel like this is their last and only hope to stop the project. If they can get an entirely all-new town board that can come in, uh, they can then rezone the land. It'll probably end up in a lawsuit, but ultimately try and keep this, uh, this Chinese company from coming. I mean, it really is like small-town America versus China here uh, in rural Michigan, and we're going to have the results uh, in less than an hour later. All right. We'll be watching it uh, as well. Brian, incredible reporting about this, the Goshen Battery Factory, for, for months now that you've been on this story. We appreciate it. We'll, we'll check in with you tomorrow with the results of today's White House press briefing. Well, it's what wasn't said that speaks volumes, and often that's the case. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, National Security Council Coordinator John Kirby, spoke for roughly 60 minutes to a room full of reporters. Lots of questions were asked about All sorts of things. Gaza, Israel, protests in the United States, Asia. There's one thing nobody brought up, though. 69-year-old Jewish man named Paul Kessler. He died when a pro-Palestinian demonstrator allegedly smashed him with a bullhorn. He fell to the ground and died after hitting his head. The little reporting that was done by NBC and the New York Times, well, here are the headlines. NBC, man dies after hitting head during Israel-Palestinian rallies in California. New York Times, Jewish man dies after altercations in dueling protests in California. It's almost like he spontaneously combusted. Yet, when it was a Muslim boy who was killed, President Biden called the family. He was talked about in an Oval Office speech. The White House then started a counter-Islamophobia campaign. And the headlines looked a lot different. Again, we'll reference NBC and the New York Times. NBC, six-year-old Palestinian boy is killed in anti-Muslim attack in Illinois. New York Times, six-year-old boy fatally stabbed in anti-Muslim attack, authorities say. With us now, Bacha Unger-Sargon, opinion editor at Newsweek, Colby Hall, founding editor at Mediate, News Nation contributor. Colby, I'm going to start with you because I know you're going to argue with me on this. Um, <laughs> look, I, I, I get that there are differences, but the fact of the matter remains, the reporting on this and the level of outrage and the level of concern is vastly, vastly different. Vastly different from the, what we saw with the six-year-old Muslim boy in Chicago. Yeah, and vastly different if what we would have seen if, if during BLM, if, a, if somebody had been killed during one of those protests. 
are vastly different than what we saw in Charlottesville. I think journalists handled this very well for a variety of reasons. One, the vast majority of reports that I saw said that he was killed after a confrontation with a Palestinian protester, which is precise. Murder, I know there was a lot of people on the right who were complaining that they, it wasn't said that he was murdered. Murder is like, isn't really a legal term. He was killed during a conflict. The medical examiner said that he died from what looked like um, a fall, a uh, uh, blunt trauma to the head from a fall. I think the journalists and everyone that's talking about this needs to be super duper responsible because if they get something wrong, it's a real flashpoint. We saw what happened with the the way the media messed up the reporting of the bombing of the hospital in Gaza, sparked Uh. tons of outrage. And and, and it's it's not a, a both sides false equivalency. I'm saying that they reported this Correctly, because if they said that okay, he was okay. murdered, I, I, your point, your point's, your point's made. Your your point's made. Bacha, I I take Colby at his point. He's an observer. He's not responsible for everything the media does. That said, Thank you. have you ever noticed how how it's amazing how responsible all the reporting needs to be when it involves anything about anti-Semitism, but how freewheeling the reporting is when it's anything else? Right. I mean, I think you just nailed it, Leland. And the point is not that the media got it wrong here. It's that they are exercising journalistic caution in the correct way because they have a bias against seeing Jews as victims. And thus they are able to you know, hold back on their enthusiasm for calling out white bad people and people of color victims, right? I mean, that is the point here, which is that there's a deeply, deeply problematic double standard where white people are treated always as the oppressors, always as the criminals, and people of color are always victims. And when you have a white person or a Jewish person who gets the white treatment who is a victim, suddenly they become really good journalists because it messes with their worldview, whereas when the person- Right, messes with the narrative. Um, yeah, they are very, very irresponsible, and they use hyperbolic language everywhere from the New York Times all the way down. Yeah, it's absurd. That's absurd. It's absurd. The top-rated and most powerful and influential media outlet is Fox News, and does exactly the opposite of what you just stated. The idea that media is biased against Jews is a false narrative. Yes, the the way that the progressives say MSNBC and many on CNN covered the attack on October October 7th, you called them out correctly because they did a lot of harm. This is not that. This is an instance. And to, to, to falsely equate the reporting on this tragedy, this horrible story that involved like six people to to a, a larger pattern, I frankly find sort of offensive. I think it's I think it's oh, absurd. But, no, no, Colby, Colby, let me let me just get let me get you to that you made your point and I and I understand. I mean and, and look, it's hard to criticize responsible reporting. Um, and I think Bajan made an interesting point. But Washington Post today, an Israeli-Palestine battle to sway Congress, only one side wins. Support for Israel is a uniquely bipartisan sentiment on Capitol Hill, a reflection of a powerful lobby and an imbalance of exposure to Palestinians, which to me got dangerously close to Ilhan Omar's uh, comment one time that it's all about the Benjamins. And I, I, this, I, I can't let this go, that this keeps going back to what Bacha said, that when it comes to issues of uh, hate towards Jews when it comes to issues of of protests in America's streets. We were required in 2020 to have such moral clarity by all all journalists. You had to have moral clarity about things. And now moral opaqueness is celebrated and moral both sidesness and responsible journalism is the buzzwords. Why the huge shift? 
Well, I think the example that you just pointed out was a good report that showed there was bipartisan support of Israel within Congress, which is objectively true and which is a good thing. I, I, do, I don't want to get into the situation where, like, defending Hamas or saying that it's complicated because I've also been super-duper critical. And you, you do make some salient points. I just think that, like, to jump on everything, we have, we have a lot of confirmation bias. So when we see this report, and a lot of people on the right were angry that he wasn't, that, that this guy wasn't murdered, that wasn't reported as being murdered. Well, I, I think it's, it's responsible for everyone on both sides to, to take assessment of the facts. And I, I don't think that there is a rush to judgment to immediately blame the Jews. I think anti-Semitism is getting called out pretty well. Of course, we can cherry pick a lot of examples where there are failures. Okay. There is a long list that I won't disagree, but I don't think it's nearly as big a problem. Let, let me, let me as ask, let me ask I'll, I'll, end, I'll end hopefully on a good note with Bacha. I only got 30 seconds, though. Is Sorry, there a Bacha. feeling among Jewish Americans to some level that it's kind of nice to be able to have these debates in public now? It's kind of nice to know who hates you and who doesn't. I'm just really ga- glad Colby is here to provide an example of exactly the kind of woke media that my book is about, bad news, because the bias is so entrenched that the journalists themselves can't even see it. I do think people are very relieved to have it out in the open. We no longer have to worry who is secretly harboring these feelings because everybody's being very explicit about it. That's great. All right. There's nothing this in my second that was woke. That's absurd. That's absurd. <laughs> No, okay, okay. Here's a, here, here, okay. We got a lot of election night news. What we're going to do, we're going to be in New York in a couple of weeks for the program. We're going to all get together on set and solve this. We will solve all of the world's problems, okay. I promise. Okay. Nice to see you both. Great panel. Coming up, uh, we Great. invite you to sign up for War Notes, source of moral clarity. It gives you a free look at the show every day, 4 p.m. Here's what you do. Go to readwarnotes.com, readwarnotes.com, and subscribe. The notes started as our internal email discussion about the most important events of the day. My thoughts, our staff's thoughts, our executive producer's thoughts. It's how we put the show together. You get to be a part of it. You can respond to the email with your thoughts or join us on social media at Leland Vitter on Instagram or Twitter. That's readwarnotes.com and subscribe for free. Coming up next, criminals in Oakland just helped themselves to stores cash registers. Why lack of crime prevention will soon be a health emergency for the folks in America's poorest communities and... Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas will testify again this week. We have some questions the senators should, well, ask to maybe perhaps get something done on our southern border. What have you done about this? What are things I'd like to say to you? Number one, your question to suggest that that is emblematic of the men and women of the Department of Homeland Security is despicable. Today, the Biden administration announced sanctions against some of the Mexican drug cartels and their leaders. The Biden administration seems to believe that will help with fentanyl flowing across the southern border. Although, so far, to be fair, sanctions haven't done much to stop fentanyl deaths here in America, something the Homeland Security Secretary will get asked about in hearings tomorrow that will probably go something like this. Many illegal aliens have died crossing illegally into the United States under Joe Biden's administration. I don't have that data. How many gotaways did CBP record in fiscal year 2023? I believe, um, Senator, that number is over 600,000. All right. And then out of that, the Biden administration's policies on the border will continue and we will go again. With that, 
Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito will be asking the questions tomorrow. Nice to see you, ma'am. Thank you. Um, without the Biden administration changing policies top down, does what happens at these hearings really change anything? Well, what we're doing is considering a supplemental that I think could have great impacts here. As you know, we're, it, it has Israel uh, support, uh, Ukrainian support, support for Taiwan, and really the fourth leg of that, or the fourth leg of that stool, if you have a four-legged stool, is a solid policy change to border policy. And I think that we can leverage that uh, to, to make some real changes in asylum and other things. One thing that's been brought up a lot is the issue as it relates to the Chinese that are coming across. Right. A hundredfold increase in the number of Chinese military-age men that are coming across the border. Uh, we had Mark Green, chairman of the Homeland Security uh, Committee, on a couple of days ago talking about this. Take a listen. So there are actual members who were in the People's Liberation Army, the People's Liberation Air Force, and they are here in the United States, released into the United States. You have to think that this is a part of some plan or strategy. You'd be foolish not to at least consider that. All right. One thing that's happening at the border, though, is there are what are called special interest aliens, right. people who get more uh, scrutiny, shall we say, if you come across you're from Afghanistan, Syria, Egypt, Iran, Yemen, Lebanon, Iraq, for obvious reasons. China's not listed in that. No. Do we know why? I don't know why, but they should be. But I think it points to the bigger fact is we don't know who's coming. We don't know who's in this country. The vetting is not uh, thorough. You, they just roll you back, back into this country and say, come back in eight to ten years for your asylum hearing. And I think if there's one thing we've learned when we see what's nobody's safe from the terrorist cells that are developing yeah. all around the country or around the world. You made a good point that this could, this, this could have meaningful policy change if, if this four-legged stool happens. Four-legged stools tend to be more, more stable. I like that. Um, here would be my question. Does that mean that all of the answers we've gotten from the administration about the border and there's nothing they can do and on and on are complete hogwash because a meaningful policy change would change what's happening on the border? I think it is hogwash, and I think that's what's going to be the substance of a lot of questions to Secretary Mayorkas tomorrow morning. Why? Why have you not moved on this effectively? Look at what President Trump did. Remain in Mexico. The numbers went down. If you start turning over the asylum claims quicker... People stop coming because it's not open anymore. They can do this now. And Secretary Mayorkas knows that. I think this is a conscious policy by this administration Hmm. to have an open border. All right. What would be a legal open border, there is now a letter being circulated. I know your office got a copy um, from Dick Durbin, among others, um, that would allow for uh, it was Henry Rogers from the Daily Caller's reporting, that would allow special status to Palestinians. It would basically turn the United States into a refugee camp for Gazans. Uh, is that something that's going to happen, could happen? That will not happen. Okay. Here's what I think. I think that the region, the countries in the region that are sympathetic to, uh, more sympathetic to the Palestinians or what's going on in Gaza, should be able to come to the rescue here for those refugees. We have a refugee process, and that's the process I think that should be used. The special status is granted to some Ukrainians and some Afghans after after we made that precipitous withdrawal and very poorly done at the same time. So, uh, no, I I can't see this country uh, developing a policy that would include uh, a special status for Palestinians. Huh. There's some people fighting for it. Yep. Ma'am, thank sure. you very much. Good to see, good you. To see you. Appreciate Thanks. it. Next, holding out hope, well, that there is hope. One month in, we know virtually nothing 
about the hostages held below Gaza. Babies, mothers, teenagers, the list goes on. Two family members join us with what we need to know, what, not, what is not being talked about, the American civilians held in Gaza. The world are calling for a ceasefire. So many leaders are calling for ceasefire. Over 65% of our own population here in the United States is calling for a ceasefire. Hmm. One month into the war in Israel, we hear an awful lot about Gazan civilians and, as you heard, ceasefires. Axios now reports that President Biden urged Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to agree to a three-day pause, ceasefire, call it whatever you want in Israel's offensive in Gaza. And you might have heard the hand-wringing this morning about the U.N. Secretary General, who is, well, quite concerned. Gaza is becoming a graveyard for children. Hundreds of girls and boys are reportedly being killed or injured every day. And the unfolding catastrophe makes the need for a humanitarian ceasefire more urgent with every passing hour. Of course, this is the same United Nations that allows Iran to chair the Human Rights Commission. That's like letting a drug dealer manage a rehab facility, but there you go. And yes, civilians are suffering above ground in Gaza. But below ground, Hamas holds 240 hostages, and for some reason you don't hear about them much. Remember, Hamas baked babies in ovens on October 7th and cut open pregnant women. It's unimaginable what they are doing to the hostages. Much of the world, and frankly a lot of the media, doesn't really care that much about the hostages. Pro-Hamas protesters have torn down signs with their pictures. They want you to forget about the hostages. We'll get to the White House response about tearing down those signs in a minute. Of course, everybody wants you to focus on the ceasefire, on the suffering of the civilians in Gaza. We're joined now by Laurent Berman, whose brothers, twins, V and Gali, were abducted on October 7th uh, from a kibbutz near the Gaza border, and by Ido... Shamir's, Shamriz, whose brother Alan was taken uh, from the same kibbutz. Gentlemen, we appreciate you being here. Thank you for, um, thank you for having us. When you think about, when you hear the word ceasefire, what does it mean to you? I don't know. I don't really want to deal with uh, the actions that the Israel or the military or other politicians are doing. I'm just really worried about my brother. Leron, when you wait, I know you, you go to bed thinking about him, you wake up thinking about him, you dream thinking about him. What, what do you think about? What scares you the most? Their well-being. Uh, we have no idea uh, how are they, if they are injured, if they are alive. We have no idea whatsoever. We heard nothing. Um, we just hope that they are together and, that, of course, that they are alive, unharmed. You know, um, humanitarian aid sent to Gaza, 665 trucks, 3,000 3, tons of food, 17,000 tons of medical equipment, uh, 600 tons of equipment for temporary shelters, 1.15 million liters of water. Um, we're safe to assume probably that your brother hasn't seen any of that. I don't know. I really don't know. We don't get any information. Would it be easier if you knew? Of course. I don't know what his condition. I don't know if he's injured, if drinking water or eating bread. I don't know nothing. We didn't hear nothing. How do you, 
see this ending? Do you have any idea? The only way it can end, it can end, it's by all 240 plus hostages coming back home to their families. This is the only way that us, the families, can see an end, a, a rightful end for this. Yeah, I, I would think that every day, every day is a month, every week is a year or two years in your lives as you're living through this. And the, the hostages have been this thing that people have, I think, rightly focused on because the idea of civilians being taken is something that really we have not seen in war for a very long time, um, if ever. And their posters have been put up all around uh, the United States, all around the world. Uh, to draw attention to their plight, and yet they have been ripped down over and over and over again. Um, today, uh, the White House was asked about that, about the tearing down of these posters. Take a listen to what they said. I've sort of kind of seen the reporting here and there. I think it was from last week, There's right? There's been like 30 million videos that have gone around. No, I know, I hear much, you. But... I hear you. I'm just not going to... Uh, I'm not going to. Okay? I'm not okay. going. Is that peaceful protest to I, pull that down, or should I, you not be? Doing I'm just that? not going to go into uh, specifics on that particular thing. And obviously, the White House didn't want to get into the, the the politics of protests in the United States because of some very powerful pro-Hamas groups on the left. But Laron, how is it in your mind that the issue of young men, but also babies and mothers and old people being kidnapped and held in, in Gaza and under, underground. How has that become controversial in this world? It's beyond me. I have no idea what the mindset of people who tear down those posters are. What's uh, it make you feel like when you see that? Very sad. Very sad. It feels like we are lying, which we are not. I haven't seen my two younger brothers for a month. I don't know when they will come back and in what condition. To see them tear down those posters, it's, it's upsetting, saddening, hurtful. Yeah. Yeah. Same feelings. Yeah. You know, fellas, um, I used to spend a lot of time in the Middle East, obviously, and I thought as a journalist at some points my parents may have to be in this position, um, depending on how things went. Uh, it's not something that if you don't take the risk, you ever would think that your families would be in. I, all I can say to you is the the one hope that your your families have is that you're doing what you're doing right now and that you're willing to come and talk about them and keep their memory alive. And they're they're there in a bad place knowing that, that you're fighting for them. They know that. It's really, really impressive what you're doing. Thank you Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you for Godspeed. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Moving on now back here at home. Thieves in Oakland, California, have gone from stealing luxury clothes and household items, well, to entire cash registers. A lot of the businesses, understandably, if you get your cash register stolen, have stopped accepting cash. Our affiliate spoke with one of those business owners. He says the real victims now are not the businesses, but are low-income customers. Looking someone in the face that I know that doesn't have access to a bank account and telling them like, hey, sorry, I can't take your cash. Like, it doesn't feel good. It, fe- it feels terrible. Hmm. Oakland has seen 3,100 robberies this year, about 10 per day. Burglaries nearing 15,000. Carjackings about to cross 13,000. The head of the local NAACP told us that over the summer... 
well, understandably, that people are afraid. Can't go to the Versatile. You can't go to the grocery stores. You can't put your groceries in your cars. You can't do anything. Darren White is with the criminal justice group for the NAAC. He's the chairman of criminal justice for the Oakland NAACP and joins us now. We appreciate it, sir. Um, you know, when that letter came out in July, it's not racist or unkind to want to be safe from crime. No one should live in fear in our city. It was a big deal when that came out, um, that the NAACP wanted Oakland to declare a crime emergency. Has anything changed since then? Yeah, some things have changed. Until I just saw this recent event at Walgreens, I haven't seen anything this blatant in over a month. Here in Oakland, I want to say that it's not a whole bunch of people that's out here, you know, running rapid in our city. It is a small group of people that are doing these robberies that are causing Oaklanders to feel unsafe. And this group of people needs to be, you know, apprehended and face the charges that um, hopefully will be brought against them. Yeah, it seems pretty obvious, right, that um, if you're stealing cash registers and doing this kind of stuff, that the police could find you and charge you and keep you in jail, but that's not happening. Why, why do you think that is? You know, the criminal justice process is what it is. They have to find these young men. They have to do their due diligence. And I'm sure the police officers are are doing their best. You know, these guys are using stolen cars, covering up license plates. So it's it's hard to find these individuals. But trust us, I I, I, I hear you. I I hear you on that. And obviously the Oakland police are one of many police departments. It's understaffed and the prosecutors letting people out. All of these different problems. the The letter the NAACP wrote indicated that there was a bigger problem, right? That this was sort of a feeling of being soft. If you were tough on crime, somehow you were racist. And I guess I'm wondering what what ends up happening to the, the poorest among all of us, especially in Oakland, when these stores start to close, when, if, if, when the police aren't doing their job because uh, either they don't have the manpower or because they don't have the political support. Yes, it is a horrible thing that people cannot go to the store, purchase things that they need with cash due to the fact that a lot of business have had to go to cashless uh, stores because of being robbed multiple times. So, Hmm. you know, this has to be addressed um, systemically, you know, through the education system, jobs, uh, resources, and, and the willingness of these young men and other people that are doing these, that they have to have the willingness to change their behavior. So it's systemic, and it just has come to a head here, not only in Oakland, but nationwide. Yeah, well, it, it certainly has come to a head. I think you, you make a point when people don't fear uh, any repercussions, what happens. It's good to see you, sir. Thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Uh, coming up next, there's another massacre, actually a lot of massacres going on in the world that are not covered by the media. Civilians are dying. Our militias are slaughtering children. The U.N. doesn't care. The American media doesn't care. Nobody's calling for ceasefires. Why is that when we come back? Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is video from Sudan. This is the video we can show you. The rest has bodies strewn all over the place. This week alone, Islamic militants killed 800 teenagers, mothers, children, and elderly. They didn't die in conflict. They were slaughtered. So far, it's left 10 million people fleeing for their lives. Yet, nobody cares. No speeches on the House floor. No demands for a ceasefire. No big rallies. No attempt to break into the White House by young, idealistic college kids. You get the idea. The United Nations has met to condemn Israel's fighting back many times. But these pictures, these are just another war where jihadists are slaughtering civilians and nobody cares. Chris is here. Uh, I don't know, Chris. It's getting more and more difficult to explain how so much of what we're seeing in America isn't driven because they can talk about Israel. And what do you think the main reasons are? for people wanting to target Israel here in America? I, I don't know how else to explain it, but a feeling of anti-Semitism on the left in America um, and an extension of the idea that there are the oppressed and the oppressors and because Jews are white uh, and somehow uh, history began for so many of these people in 1948. Uh, therefore, Jews are the oppressors and the Palestinians are the oppressed. Never mind that they're firing rockets. And therefore, uh, it's another cause de celeb. Now, you know this, but a lot of that is ignorant uh, because, first of all, just on a simple level, a lot of Jews aren't white. Uh, both in Israel and oh, I, here. I, I, I know um, all that, Chris. No, I know you it's know. All I know you know, but people are coming... Well, look, you have ignorance, you have anti-Semitism, you have anti-Zionism, and you have it all going on in this devil's playground of American politics where everything is yeah. binary and being oh, yeah, well, hold, hold on, hold on. Chris, I got to ask you one question, then I'm going to let you finish. You just said a lot of it's ignorance. We were told during 2020... During BLM, ignorance is not an excuse. We were told over and over and over again the need for moral clarity. And yet now, well, these people may not really know what they're fighting for. Anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism are different things, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's nuance involved. Uh, you're not wrong, but I don't see it as an outright uh, hypocrisy. Mm. Uh, ignorance is a problem. Uh, when you're making arguments and taking positions, especially ones that target other people. Uh, BLM, I think, was a big step in the wrong direction for perception of the Jewish reality. I think a little bit of this, well, Jews are really just part of the white power structure now, was an outgrowth of that, which was ironic in yeah. two ways. One, very few groups have supported the black cause in America the way Jewish people have. And Bingo. second... A lot of them are not white, and certainly when it comes time to someone wanting to kill a group, they are not white, they're Jewish. And what I'm going to be talking about tonight 
uh, Leland, is a step down the road that you're laying out for us, which is hmm. there's something that doesn't make sense about what's happening in America with respect to the yep. Middle East. And we're going to unpack it because the only way we're going to get to figure out what this is and what this isn't is by calling things out and asking people to think about these things. And you're doing it and you're doing it brilliantly and I appreciate you for it. Looking forward to the show. You did it great last night. We really enjoyed the program. We'll watch it again tonight. Uh, Chris, thank you. Coming up next. Um, thankfully, nobody drew, sketched Chris or I for this next segment. Uh, courtroom sketches. Somehow, sketches have become controversial. A leading sketch artist joins us why no matter who they sketch or how they sketch them, they get criticized. How is it that we are divided over sketches when we come back? I had sleepless nights and Tom Brady's been in my mind in the middle of the night. I get up worrying about it. Breaking news. News Nation and our partners at Decision Desk HQ with a race call. We now project Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir to win re-election in Kentucky. Uh, this sets Bashir up clearly uh, to be uh, one of the very leading candidates for the Democratic nomination uh, in 2024. Still a lot of races to decide tonight including the Virginia State Legislature that we'll be watching throughout the night. Big reverberations in terms of what Andy Bashir's victory means as we take a live look there at Kentucky uh, to his speech as it happens. Everything's polarized in America these days, including courtroom sketch artists. They literally can't make anyone happy these days. That's some of the responses. A lot of responses came out to Donald Trump in court. And to be fair, the artists must capture with pen and pencils the moment their subject's well, they keep moving. The prosecutors and defense lawyers switch up. People get mad about how sketch artists sketch Tom Brady, and you can't please any everybody. William Hennessy Jr.'s sketch of Trump in Miami a few months ago, he got criticized from both sides. Trump looked too good or too young, whatever. Hennessy is uh, with us now. Uh, boy, did you ever think that your work would be controversial? <laughs> Not really. Um, it seems almost a silly issue, but... But it's dealing with pretty heavy matters, so I understand people's attention to it. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I guess this is my question, and maybe this is just interpretive, right? But how is it that you look at Donald Trump in so many different ways, and yet you got this picture that looks very similar to him? Um, and then I think about the Trump sketch on Monday, uh, Elizabeth Williams, for example, and I say to myself, it almost looks like you're kind of somebody's trying to. I don't want to say grease it a little bit, but grease it a little bit. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go so far as say that, but I do think it comes down to, you know, individual perceptions. And, um, you know, I, I know the issue, the question sort of behind all this is, is, is someone putting their own personal, you know, spin on it or making someone looking better or worse, depending on how they feel about them. I, I wouldn't go so far as that. I certainly, that's not something I would do. I've certainly been, uh, throughout yeah. my career, it's been made clear that we do our very best to be accurate. We're basically the I, camera. I guess, I guess the other way to look at it, right, is we all sort of think we look better than maybe we do, <laughs> right? You know, all the, uh, I'm thinking like, thank God nobody has to sketch me. I, God knows how that would look. Um, hey, this has been a lot of fun. I'm sorry for the breaking news, but I think that this is not is going away as an issue. So we're going to have you back to discuss 
um, more sketch controversy and have have a little fun. All right. Not a problem. You got it. Yeah. Thanks very much. More on the breaking news. The election.